welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a show that explores trends in security, technology, and society, and thinks about what might be coming next. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, papers, articles, and podcasts, which I turn into a concise 15 to 30 minute summary with analysis. There's a summary episode every Monday morning, as well as standalone episodes that are either me exploring an idea or discussing one with a guest. The goal is twofold to give you a concise update on the most interesting things happening around the world, and to explore ideas that hopefully give you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 246. I had two essays this week. One is called, Our Problem is Gullibility, Not Disinformation. And the second one is called Primary Concern Theory. Security News. Microsoft is warning that Russia is attacking our elections again. And this time they're going after both parties, supposedly. Although, I do wonder if that is just to present the appearance of uh, being impartial. They also said China is in the mix this time, but that they're mostly going after Biden's campaign. And Iran is also partaking of the good times. Pretty comprehensive report by Microsoft. Thought it was really good stuff. The former head of the NSA, Keith Alexander, has joined Amazon's board of directors. And there are many people upset about that. Because of ring type of reasons, of course. Oracle has won the TikTok deal, but it may be a genius move by China to appease Trump without actually losing anything. They've essentially given up no control over the application itself, the algorithm, the source code, anything like that. According to what we know right now, it's pretty early. And it's just going to be hosted by Oracle. So it's not so much a purchase as some kind of a partnership. In fact, they announced it as like a trusted partner status or trusted partner relationship. So the question is whether or not the Trump administration will see this as a victory or actually Trump himself will see this as a victory and that he got what he wanted, or if he'll see through it and just throw a flag and basically shut down TikTok US regardless of the deal and basically just stop the deal and just not do anything. Scott Galloway had some really good analysis on this. He basically said that China would not be strong-armed in this way and would not let this happen and would rather let the whole thing just fail and shut down operations in the U.S. than set a precedent like this of allowing themselves to be basically handled in this way. But this is an interesting move because they might get what they want. They might get to continue operations in the U.S. by making Trump feel like he got a victory, like he got a win, like he got one over on China. And if people in his audience believe that that's true, he might just count that as a win. So China might be playing some really smart go here while we're playing drunk checkers. I forget who made that analogy, but I thought it was pretty smart. And in news that's almost definitely related to that, China just released a new data security initiative, which looks a lot like public relations cleanup of their decaying reputation internationally. 
The new initiative says they won't ask companies working in China to give data to the government and that people shouldn't install backdoors that steal data. I mean, I feel like this is nice stuff to say, but why should anyone believe that this is anything other than PR? The U.S. has revoked more than 1,000 Chinese nationals' visas for supposedly having ties to the Chinese military. Portland has passed the toughest ban on facial recognition in the U.S. And the Pentagon is working on a program that uses AI to automate the detection and response to cyber threats. This type of program, I think, is needed, and it's inevitable because humans simply can't look at the amount of data that's being produced at this point, really around anything, let alone all the cybers. So that's great, but it doesn't make this really any less scary. The goal is to be able to trust such a system to make really important warfare decisions, and achieving that goal is what should be the most scary outcome. So we've basically aligned the incentives where the goal is to make something that's really scary. I'm always worried when the incentives are lined up that way. Harvard Research says China's cyber capabilities are equal to the U.S. And the U.S. is working on a project where autonomous AI-powered drones protect helicopters via electronic warfare, sensor extension, and by acting as decoys for incoming attacks. First, I thought this was kind of like drone swarms, kind of like kill decision. Who was that? Daniel Suarez, who wrote that. Really loved that book. But this is more like an armed guard-like fleet that flies around helicopters. Sounds really awesome, to be honest. And they're autonomous. They're not controlled by anyone. They're, they have their instructions already, and they're just doing what they've been taught to do, and then using AI to parse information about the environment and carry that out. Vulnerabilities. Microsoft patched 129 vulns for Patch Tuesday. There's a Bluetooth vulnerability in both 4.0 and 5.0 that lets local attackers access services without authentication. And I don't believe there's a patch for this yet. PanOS has some fixes for some code execution and denial of service flaws. SAP issued 10 new security notes and updates for six previous security notes. And Adobe patched a bunch of stuff. Ransomware. Dozens of schools have been hit with ransomware attacks while trying to start the school year, forcing many of them to postpone the year and or go fully remote. And a study found that 41% of recent cyber insurance claims were ransomware related. Actually would have expected that number to be higher. Maybe it would be higher if more policies covered ransomware. Not really sure. Don't really know that space all that well, although I do find it interesting. Disinformation. There's now a meme slash theory slash conspiracy that Antifa and similar groups have caused the fires in Oregon due to some just poorly thought out tweets by the Portland Police Department. So they tweeted out a thing saying, please demonstrate peaceably and without the use of fire. (laughs) And a whole bunch of people on the right picked this up to think 
while they've been using fire during their demonstrations, and they were already inclined to think that they were all violent, right? So now they're like, fire demonstrations, therefore Antifa started all the forest fires. And that's the jump that's being made. And now the authorities are being overwhelmed by people calling in and complaining about this. So now the authorities have had to come out and say, no, we did not say that Antifa started all these fires. And uh, they're just kind of backtracking and undoing a bunch of damage. I mean, the, the rumor could have started anyway, right? But it was kind of a own goal on the part of the Portland Police Department, putting out a tweet like that. Breaches. Razor, the gaming group, had a data leak. And companies, Zoom just rolled out 2FA for all accounts. Technology news. NVIDIA is buying ARM for $40 billion. Amazon is partnering with AT&T so you could tie your Alexa devices to your phone number and make and receive calls with them. It's pretty cool. Google has launched Android 11, which is evidently kind of an iterative upgrade, like fixes and enhancement type of deal. And a bunch of people are complaining that it's not really compatible with a lot of devices, but happy to see them keep putting out uh, releases. Last few times I've dealt with Android, it's looked pretty smooth. MIT has successfully monitored people's sleeping positions 94% of the time using just radio signals. So what they did was they trained what a sleeping position was by people wearing like wrist straps and chest straps and stuff. And they did a bunch of training like that, but then they just shined radio into the room and looked at the bounces, which is that I keep talking about this tech because I think it's super cool. And they're able to infer from the bounces, the same data that they, that they were getting from people actually wearing devices and with, with 94% accuracy, just incredibly crazy stuff going on. Peloton is releasing new and cheaper bike and treadmill options. Companies optimize health raised 15.6 million to remotely monitor patients' health. Curio just raised another 9 million for doing curated audio journalism, which that reminds me, I need to sign up for this thing. Check it out. Skin analytics raises 4 million pounds to detect skin cancer using AI and Slack reported revenue of 215 million, which is up around 50% year over year. Society news, vinyl just outsold CDs for the first time since the 1980s. The Fed owns around one third of mortgages, which fire emoji is fine. Ideas, trends, and analysis. I think the next version of a media group will be a loosely collected group of individual creators united under a theme and a brand. This is just like a Twitter thread that I was riffing on last week. My buddy Jason and I are thinking about doing something like this at a smaller scale for InfoSec, where we basically get a whole bunch of creators together. And then we go after sponsors and we try to get them to pay for 
like creation rigs, video cards, computers, monitors, mics, and stuff like that. And we have actual branding. We have swag. But it's just a whole bunch of InfoSec creators who are basically doing their own thing under like a certain type of brand. And we actually have a name for it, which we talked about on Twitter last week. It's called Arcanum. And that's for this InfoSec one, which we're slowly launching. We've been thinking about it. We were talking about it before COVID. So obviously that threw a wrench at things. But that's the smaller scale idea that we're talking about doing for InfoSec. But the overall idea here is that you have loosely collected individual creators, especially journalists, who are putting out their own stuff that's really cool. But they could be tied into a larger group that's under a brand. So let's say you write about human rights, or let's say you write about technology, or you write about food. So you can have a food brand which is a collection of whatever, 250 top individual writers around food. And let's say the brand is called whatever, Tasty Treats, right? So people can subscribe to Tasty Treats and get the content of all the individual creators. Or they can subscribe to the individuals. And actually the Tasty Treats brand is a way of finding individual creators because they're associated with this thing. And then once again, you can go to sponsors and say, hey, do you want to contribute so-and-so type of um, equipment or it's not called, called equipment for, for cooking um, utensils, uh, accoutrements, I don't know, wh- whatever it's called. Do you want to contribute to this? Do you want to donate to new chefs who are getting into the hobby or new content creators who are getting into the hobby of talking about food? And so the idea is you just, you can generate all this mass and this um, inertia and momentum and visibility around a particular topic and also give lots of um, exposure to new content creators. And you could do it while telling all the sponsors and telling the people who are donating things or whatever. It's like, look, you have no control here, none whatsoever. If you want to contribute here, someone might mention your name or they might not, but you will not dictate what people do um, to mention you or, or something like that. So it's like the idea is that the power goes back to the individuals. The power goes back to this loosely formed group. And we don't have this ad based system, which is just super toxic, poisonous to the to the infrastructure itself and to trust that people have of the individuals. So at the base of this thing, it is all about the individual consumer, the audience member and the individual creator, this brand that's wrapped around it. This brand wrapper is really just for visibility and for some branding and exposure and some swag and people like to be part of a group. It's pretty cool to be part of a group, right? But ultimately what it really comes down to is people trusting individuals. And that is what we don't currently have with media so much with, with current media, with old school media. 
uh, you still have it where it's like, oh, it's MSNBC. Uh, because they're controlling what goes out. They're telling the reporters what they can and cannot say. Um, and the ad companies or the, the corporations who are donating money or not donating money, but contributing money, paying money for ads, they have a lot of say as well. And the whole system is broken. People are losing trust in it. So I think this this new decentralized individual-based system is going to be the replacement. And uh, Jason and I are going to start off like a mini version of it with a creator team. Uh, Jason's initial idea was kind of like an esports team. And I was thinking more like a media group, but we're going to work it out. We're going to start small and, uh, and launch this thing at some point. So look out for it. And if you have any comments on it or want to be part of it, just uh, let myself or Jason know. Um, he is Jay Haddix on Twitter and you know how to find me. So that is that. Um, next one here is Wikipedia. This is crazy quote here. Wikipedia has an immersive game world with over 39.9 million players in over 6.16 million unique locations, including over 99,000 undiscovered secret areas, 32,000 completely explored dungeons, and 5,800 boss levels. I'm reading this. I'm like, what is this? And it turns out it's actually a page on Wikipedia, and it's talking about all the different types of content, what's hidden, what's not hidden, how many contributors, where they're contributing from, and they're describing it as like a D&D campaign, which I thought was creative. And last one here in Ideas, Trends, and Analysis, the technical interview is an ego trip. Just the title itself is really strong. Always felt that way about interviews, but hearing it said that clearly does resonate with me. Updates on September 17th at 9 p.m. That is this week. 9 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Pacific, and 10 p.m. Eastern, we're going to have an unsupervised learning movie night. We are watching a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma, which a lot of you might have heard of. We'll be streaming using software called Watch With Friends. And uh, we're going to post the link in the Slack channel, which is uh, for members, of course. You can subscribe at danielmeesler.com slash subscribe. But for members in the Slack, we're going to post the link uh, before too long. Um, Tim Leonard, who is who is a huge part of the community um, over there on the Slack channel, he is. it was his idea, and I think it's a great idea, and he's going to be running this thing. So he's going to post the link a few hours before showtime. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, we've done a whole bunch of book clubs, but this is going to be our first watch party and uh, nothing more appropriate than uh, the social dilemma. So look forward to that on Thursday. Uh, last week I said Oracle won the Jedi contract, which was super dumb. It was Microsoft. I don't know why I said that. Um, they actually won it a long time ago. All the judge did recently was uphold the previous decision. So sorry for that error. And uh, our podcast hit number 50 in the U.S. technology category over the last few days, which is 
about the highest that it's ever been. It gets into the 50s and 40s every once in a while, but it usually sits around 100 to 250. And all we did to make this happen, to make it shoot up so high, is we posted a second episode during the week, which was the book review episode for Atomic Habits, which you should check out if you haven't heard that one. But as it turns out, most top podcasts score so high in the rankings because because they publish so often, like sometimes three to 10 episodes a week, sometimes even 20 episodes. And the more downloads you get, the higher your ranking is, basically. So a podcast like Joe Rogan, I mean, he puts out, I think like one or maybe like sometimes two or three a day. And that, I mean, that's not the only reason it's a big podcast, but the more consistent you are and the more content you put out, I mean, this is for YouTube, Twitch, podcasting, whatever, that that is what really gets your stats up there. But uh, yeah, cracking the top 50 is pretty cool. And just finished reading Breathe, which is our UL book of the month this month. And uh, mostly loved it, probably a 7 out of 10 for me. And I'm currently reading the Peter Sturzok book, which is called Compromise. And I'll be reading the Woodward book right afterwards. really feel like Trump is compromised to some degree. And this is security conversation, not political conversation. Um, by the way, although a lot of people rightly believe it is both, but anyway, I was recently moved a bit away from the position of him being deeply compromised by the Bolton book. So I'm allowing my mind to be changed by going deeper on this stuff. And I'm really curious what an expert in counterintelligence has to say about the topic. So looking forward to reading that. And Discovery, Ars Technica, put out a buying guide for home offices. Got Mastering the Art of Ventilating a Home, How to Make a Really Good Data Visualization. And Yuri Bezmanov, also known as Thomas Schumann, on Ideological Subversion. I'm like halfway through this video, it's on YouTube. It's very old. The guy has chalk on a chalkboard, which is kind of like an overhead projector. Very old stuff. And recommendations. If you want quick entry into the world of breathing, you could do much worse than Wim Hof's guided video on YouTube. And interestingly, he doesn't specify to breathe in through the nose, which is a huge thing in the book Breathe that we just did for the book club. So uh, he just says breathe and don't think too much about how you do it. And he actually has people breathing pretty quickly, whereas the book said the ideal amount of time to breathe in is 5.5 seconds and the ideal amount of time to breathe out is 5.5 seconds. And this is triangulating with a whole bunch of Indian and Chinese and very old texts. Evidently, the 5.5 number is pretty big. So I set that to be my time on my watch app that does breathing which I've started using more. I also switched because of this book to starting my meditation sessions with a few deep breaths at this slower pace. And uh, that's been pretty great. Aphorisms and quotes. Aphorism for the week or the quote for the week. A celebrated people lose dignity upon a closer view. 
a celebrated people lose dignity upon a closer view. Napoleon I. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. The show is not supported by ads because I think they're annoying and toxic to the future of content creation. So if you enjoy the show, you can support it directly for just $5 a month or $50 a year, which is two months for free. Members get quite a few things. Most notably, they get the newsletter every week instead of just twice a month. They get access to the archives. They get access to the UL Slack community, where we have great conversations happening all week long. And members also get access to the UL Book Club, where we pick a book a month and talk about it live as a group. To become a member, just head over to danielmeisler.com slash subscribe. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. I truly appreciate every one of you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.